Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 25 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. On today's episode, I wanted to spend some time discussing a treatment that is used specifically to help work through trauma. So I know in the mental health field, you often hear a lot of acronyms thrown around CBT, DBT, IPT, etc. As a part of continuing to help you make the best decisions for yourself and your mental health, I want to help you understand what all these letters mean. That's why for today's episode, I chatted with licensed professional counselor Kelly Davis. In her practice, Kelly uses EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, to help her clients work through trauma. Kelly comes with more than 10 years of practice specializing in trauma-informed therapy and care, including post-traumatic stress disorder in adolescents and adults. PTSD may include symptoms such as nightmares, flashbacks, suicidal ideations, startled responses, and self-harming tendencies. Her approach includes experiential therapies such as EMDR and psychodrama techniques, as well as traditional talk therapy. Kelly is in private practice and Director of Grief and Trauma Resolution at Lakeside Behavioral Health System. She is a member of the West Tennessee Counseling Association and was named the Counselor of the Year in 2016. She's an active member of the American Society of Group Psychotherapy and Psychodrama and is designated as a mental health services provider. So in this episode, Kelly and I talked about what EMDR is, how she uses it in treatment, what concerns it works best for, and how it's different from traditional talk therapy. So, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. So you are here to talk with us all about EMDR. So first of all, can you tell us what those letters stand for? EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Okay, so what is that? EMDR is a um, type therapy modality that creates REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, at a waking state. Uh, It is believed that a lot of uh, healing and repairing and restoring takes place in REM sleep. So essentially what EMDR does is mimic REM sleep, but the client or patient is awake and very aware of what's going on. Many people mistake it for hypnosis. It's not hypnosis. They're awake, they're alert, and they're just kind of guided through Uh, correcting areas in their lives that need to be corrected. Okay. And so what, what is involved in this? Like, it sounds like this may require like some kind of equipment or does it involve any kind of equipment? It can involve equipment. When it was first uh, discovered and and taught to different clinicians, uh, clinicians were encouraged to create the eye movement process 
by taking two fingers and waving them back and forth in front of a patient and patients or clients were asked to track the movement of the fingers going back and forth. Um, and there's some clinicians that still use that. I personally use uh, what are considered tappers that will bilaterally stimulate uh, patients and that's what creates the REM sleep process. As long as the eyes are moving back and forth, then we are um, mimicking REM sleep. And, and that's the whole, the whole method of, of, of what's going on, the eye movement going back and forth. Okay. So these tappers that you're talking about, what, what would they be doing? You say they stimulate bilateral. Yeah. So what I do when I'm using EMDR, Joy, I will have clients either hold the tappers in each hand and you can create the intensity of how they buzz back and forth. You can also uh, control how fast the movements go back and forth. Some clients, I will have them to, to sit on top of them uh, to put one tapper under each leg or under each foot because um, reprocessing traumatic events, uh, you know, it's, it's painful. And so when people get tearful, I like for their hands to be free if they would want to reach uh, for Kleenex or, or clench their hands. Um, but every clinician is different. Okay. Okay. So what clinical issues um, is ER, is EMDR typically used for? It's typically used for people, survivors of uh, traumatic experiences, uh, primarily people with post-traumatic stress disorder uh, that have these disturbing events uh, that try to process on their own. People try to work them out on their own. And the way they try to get worked out oftentimes are through nightmares and flashbacks. Uh, but nightmares, people wake up, and so they stop um, the process of trying to work through a traumatic experience. Or if there's a flashback, the inclination is, let's go ahead and stop it from happening. EMDR will go ahead and encourage that uh, in a controlled setting and in a controlled environment. Okay. So this, this feels like, is this something that works in tandem with something like, um, like cognitive behavioral therapy, or is this like a different approach? I definitely think it could work in tandem uh, with CBT. I, I've had a lot of clients that come to me, they've used cognitive behavioral therapy to try and um, to work through traumatic experiences, and but that kind of keeps you um, intellectual, you know, just kind of in your head. EMDR in and that's what I like so much about it. It encourages the emotional aspect that goes along with traumatic situations that happen. Most traumatic situations that happen to us, they kind of freeze us, Joy. We're kind of stuck in time. So we can feel all of the, 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 um, all of the painful emotions are still stuck there. EMDR encourages becoming unstuck. Uh, and sometimes CBT just cannot reach a client at that level because EMDR can be very physiological. It encourages trauma is trapped in the body. Uh, actually, there's some research that talks about uh, MS, multiple sclerosis, could be considered trapped trauma. Uh, trauma is trapped in the body, so EMDR encourages the processing at a cellular level, and that's a place that talk therapy tries really hard to reach, uh, but in my experience, it can't quite uh, get to it. And most clients will come to me and say, I've talked about this issue. I'm so tired of talking about it. Uh, the talking gives it the relief, but it just doesn't get it to the level that, that EMDR will, will, will get a client to that I've seen. Okay. So this, 
this all sounds really interesting. Um, and I want to kind of, you know, help everybody understand like what this exactly looks like. So somebody yes. comes to you, you know, after a traumatic experience, maybe like a bad car accident um, or something, what kinds of things would happen in like the first couple of sessions and what would like a course of treatment look like with EMDR to help work through the trauma of a car accident? Okay. So uh, that's a good example. You know, somebody comes to me with a car accident, you know, EMDR has phases that you go through. Uh, the first phase would be the history taking, you know, asking the client exactly what happened. Um, and from events that happen to us, we develop a narrative that oftentimes is self-deprecating, things we begin to believe about ourselves based on what happened. And the belief oftentimes could be, you know, I'm not safe, I'm not okay, I'm stuck, I'm going to die. Now, if the client made it to my office, of course, we know that narrative is not true, but they're still living with that narrative that keeps them very hypervigilant, that could keep them from getting back into a car again or um, just not wanting to drive. So the EMDR process would, would take a client essentially back to that event and work hard to change the narrative. Um, and you go back to the, to the event with bilateral stimulation, asking the client to close their eyes, uh, asking them to, to think about what the worst part of that event was. While they're closing their eyes, uh, it just depends on the client, but I will ask that they would talk to me through what's going on. For example, a client may say, I see the red light, um, changing and and you know i don't want to be there don't want to get out um so what i would do as a therapist is is almost kind of hold that scene and have the client sitting on my couch imagine going back to the client that was driving the car does that make sense what i'm saying so kind of going back to that moment going back to that moment mm -hmm. while you're still being bilaterally stimulated mm -hmm and asking the client, you know, what is it you would like to say right now? And without prompting, most clients are able to say, you know, you're gonna be okay. Uh, you're gonna make it through. It's not gonna be good. Uh, at the same time, you're gonna make it through. So with the bilateral stimulation, now the body and the brain is buying into the narrative that I'm safe, I'm gonna be okay. Not coming out unscathed, but still safe, I survived this incident. And the bilateral stimulation helps the client to take on that new belief, thereby releasing some of the anxiety that's associated with it prior to an EMDR session. Okay. So it sounds like maybe like your first couple of sessions are really kind of getting a lot of the background information about like setting the scene for the trauma so that you can then use that in your EMDR sessions. Absolutely. It's setting the scene for it. And in this day and time, Joy, you, ha you have people with a lot of complex trauma. And, and it's not uncommon to realize I was in that car wreck and I was unsafe. But now I also remember there was another time in my life that I felt the same way. So uh, it's very common to discover um, other traumas coming out of just one session and the whole narrative associated with what happened possibly long before the car accident. Now, there's some research that shows that one EMDR session can be equivalent to about, you know, to about five talk therapy sessions. Oh, wow. uh, in one of them, and there was some research that it would be equivalent to 12 talk therapy sessions, especially dealing with, with veterans of post-traumatic stress disorder, just kind of the relief that you get out of one of those sessions. 
uh, it encourages clients to come up really with their own insights and their own narratives without being prompted by the clinician. Um, if I fall and break my arm, they're going to take me to the doctor. The doctor will set my arm in a cast. And as long as it's supported, our creator has given our body everything it needs to heal. That bone will grow back stronger than ever. EMDR is kind of like taking the brain and setting it correctly around what happened. And so then the thinking goes in an area that's helpful and not an area that's maladaptive. It, it sets it correctly. And the brain has the potential to heal just like any bone in our bodies. It just has to be set correctly. Wow, that's a really powerful analogy, Kelly. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned... Um, and I would imagine, I don't know how early in a session this would happen you, when you said if they could go back to that moment, like right at the red light, they would be telling themselves, um, you're going to be okay. I would imagine that doesn't happen in like the first session when you are using EMDR. You know, and, and I will say this, if I could digress just a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. in the first session, there's, a, there's a, a tool you can use with EMDR called creating a calm, safe place. So with, by being bilaterally stimulated, you, you help the client to create a place that is calm and safe, that's only for them, and you talk them through uh, moments of that using EMDR. So let's say if I ask them to go to the red light, if that's too much for you, I will say, remember, we created the calm, safe place. It just depends on the amount of emotional resourcing a person has uh, that a clinician would have to to assess to see if they are ready for a quote unquote red light scene. So oh. you're exactly right. The, the assessment is important. It depends on the emotional resourcing of somebody if they're equipped enough to be able to handle a scene like that. So depending on the resourcing, you know, they could be ready during the first session and then maybe not, but you get that in the history taken part, part of before you start. Okay, so, so those assessment sessions really do more than just get like the background of the trauma they also talk about um like what the person has been doing to cope with the trauma like how ready are they for this intense type of experience absolutely absolutely you're exactly right and and and, and sometimes certain medications will affect uh how effective you know emdr can be you know most of the time uh benzos and and, and opiates uh work against the whole process uh, because, you know, that's supposed to relax you. You're not supposed to, you know, be heightened. Uh, but there are points of EMDR uh, that can be very heightened. And if you're on certain medications, you can't quite get to where it is you need to be in order for the process to even be worthwhile. Right. Uh, right. So I've had people, you know, in the hospital that I work with that I go back to the physician, how far can we cut back on this medication before we even try this process, because you would hate to re-traumatize re somebody. Right. So I want to go back to something that you pointed out that I find really interesting. So you mentioned that it's been your experience in some of your EMDR work that one trauma will then unearth these other traumas. So I'm curious how then you begin working with like multiple traumas through the EMDR sessions. Well, we do. Uh, it's a very good question, Joy. We uh, assess... Um, we ask for a SUDS level based on a trauma. And SUDS, S-U-D-S, it stands for a Subjective Unit of Distress. Um, and so on a scale of zero to 10, we'll say how bad, when you think about this event today, how badly does it bother you? 10, it bothers me a lot. Zero, it doesn't bother me at all. 
personally, if a SUDS is, is five or above, I feel like that's active trauma and it's probably affecting your life today. So the events that you, you know, if one trauma unearths another one, I'll assess and I'll get a SUDS level. Uh, and if that distress level is, is high, then that's something that we need to work on. We need to process. Now, something I do with my clients in my outpatient office, I'll do what's called an envelope system when I believe that there are multiple traumas. And what that is, is I ask clients to get an index card, just give that event in your life a title, write that title down, put it in an envelope and seal it. We don't open the envelope until you come in my office. So that means I'm not ignoring it. I know exactly where it is. Uh, when it's time to deal with it, that's when I take it to session. Because most people with PTSD are very afraid with multiple traumas of losing control. So sometimes the envelope system give them, gives them a sense of control. Now, each title that they name an event, I ask for a SUDS level. And people can come to work on a car wreck, but I'll look at a SUDS level that happened 12 years ago, and this thing is still at a 10. So it's like, okay, whoa, this holds a lot of weight right now. Um, and we start the processing from, from that point. Okay. Okay. Got you. So you mentioned that um, they would hold it until they come to your office. Is there a place that this, is the EMDR not done in your office? It is done in my office. You okay. know, but the point that I, I give people the assignment, you know, just to say that I'm not ignoring it. I'm not forgetting it. I wrote it down for Kelly. It's on my dresser. I can't wait to take these to her office. You know, so I'm not asking you to deal with it at home or talk to your spouse or your kids about it. You know, we got it on paper. It's sealed. And all of the EMDR, you know, that I do outpatient takes place in my office unless I'm seeing patients in a hospital. But often in my office, if I'm working on one thing and I assess that there are several others, and that is the case, Joy, with a lot of African-Americans, several others, meaning a theme of traumatic experiences um, that, that stand out, um, they, they really do favor and like the whole envelope system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that does feel a little um, like comforting, like yes. they can, you know, kind of contain it, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned, um, you know, that you found that particularly with African-Americans, they find that comforting. Um, and I'm wondering if there are any special considerations related to EMDR when using with the, with the Black community. Um, you know, I think the, the, the thing uh, prior to getting to we want to do EMDR is convincing the African-American community that what you're dealing with is trauma and is PTSD, you know, um, we ask people a lot of times, you know, what's wrong with you? Or people may ask, what's wrong with me? When the correct question is, what happened to me? What happened to you? And it's getting, you know, African-Americans to understand that things that happened to, to them, things that happened to us, uh, maybe uh, they were not healthy and maybe they were not intended to be harmful, but they were. So it's just kind of wrapping my mind around that this really is an issue and this is something that really has affected me. Um, once there's a buy-in, that here's something that I need to work on, uh, because a big part of it too, Joy, is establishing trust in a, you know, I have to earn my way, in my opinion, especially with African-Americans, into doing something like EMDR, because the first thing they ask, okay, is this hypnosis? What does this mean? <laughs> but earning my way uh, into that, 
but getting them to understand that what's going on with me is unresolved trauma, the EMDR process then becomes a little easier because it is a very spiritual process. And one thing I use with African Americans, um, they are, are, are quick to go back to, for example, um, I asked them if, if you were sexually abused as a little girl, who would you like to take back to help rescue that little girl? Why the bilateral stimulation is going on? You know, it's very common for them to say, I want to take God back. I want to take Jesus back, my big mama back. I want to take those. So to allow them to do that and for them to become um, tearful around that in a good way, it they buy into the process a lot more. Um, if I'm being clear on what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I know in some previous conversations um, before we started recording, you talked about the fact that EMDR can be really helpful because it allows you to get to a place that sometimes words can't. Um, and I think that that would be particularly helpful for a lot of Black women um, because there there does tend to be like a guard there in wanting yeah. to share emotion. So if we're getting at it in a different way, um, then it kind of opens up the space for the words to follow. You're exactly right. Uh, and, and here's the thing in doing, you know, when you talk about unresolved trauma, some of the events around what happened to us can be really shaming. Uh, What I like about EMDR is that it takes that element out of it because as the clinician, I don't have to know the details of what happened and how many times and where you were. And that's not nearly as important to me. What I'm looking for is that belief that you have about yourself because of what happened. That's the only thing I'm really concerned about because that's really the thing um, that's kind of wreaking havoc, this belief that you have about yourself based on what happened. So EMDR helps to Uh, go back and change that narrative, realizing that I was actually strong because I survived that. So I can take off the layer that I'm unworthy and I'm not good enough. Um, So you look at the suds going down that when I think about that situation now, I'm not at a 10, you know, I'm at about a two. It, It stings, but I can handle it a whole lot better. And when people come with, you know, sexual trauma, that their fear is that you're going to force me to talk about it. If somebody wants to talk, I'm not going to shut them down, but that's not the expectation. Okay. So I can imagine, um, you know, in these sessions that you're bringing up a lot, there's likely, even if it didn't start with emotion, there may be a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. um, kind of coming out of it. So I'm wondering like what kinds of like homework or like what kinds of exercises or grounding kinds of things go along with like the work that goes on in your office? I I do give the assignment of of letter writing to the part of you that that endured that trauma. Uh, And and, and the hope is what I'm looking for is is that the person that's in my office or after the therapy, that we've invoked a little bit more compassion. Because it's amazing when we come out of trauma, uh, we're so upset with ourselves. And we beat ourselves up and expect ourselves to heal all at the same time. Uh, And and that just kind of doesn't work. It exacerbates even more trauma, actually. But the the homework assignment of definitely um, writing that letter and and, and giving them permission to talk from the space of the trauma, meaning, you know, what does that eight-year-old little girl have to say today to a 40-year-old? You know, oftentimes eight-year-olds, thank you for forgiving me, for realizing it really wasn't my fault. And that's where the grounding comes in. 
um, after the session is over, and sometimes even during the session. You know, every patient, every session is different. But and not only grounding, the whole integration process of it. Okay. You know, the integration meaning the D in EMDR, we desensitize it. Let's take the sting out because I did survive and I am okay. Now we're gonna reprocess this and realize just how strong I actually was to even make it through that situation. So the letter writing helps with that. So it sounds like um, you don't use like the bilateral stimulation necessarily in every session. Like a lot of what you're talking about is like narrative and like, you know, cognitive restructuring in some way. So it sounds like that's right. Okay. So there's also a lot of like talking going on maybe in the sessions that don't involve the stimulation. Yes, you are exactly right. The bilateral stimulation with creating the REM sleep, it, it helps to get through the painful parts of the situation. You know, sometimes when I see a client is really struggling or really tearful and clenching, as I said, there are different speeds and various intensities on the tappers that I use. So I'll turn them up just a little in order to kind of make it over that, you know, make it over that hump. And there are times, Joy, that I've turned them down and the client said, no, turn it back up, Uh, you know, to, you know, I'm in this place. I want to process it. I want to go ahead and get through. But you're exactly right. The bilateral stimulation is not necessarily used through every setting, you know, every session regarding that. Okay. And is there a part of this um, that a client would try to do at home? Like, could a client induce this for themselves? Well, that's the first thing I say. Please don't go home tapping on nobody. <laughs> or go home and tell people, close your eyes. Let me show you what I learned from Kelly. <laughs> Um, there are people that can order their own, uh, tappers, but you have to give a lot of, um, uh, a lot of paperwork into how much EMDR you've actually had. You know, another therapist has to know that this is what you're doing. Uh, what I have encouraged clients to do is to kind of create their own tapping. When I do the calm, safe place element that you could help to enhance that safe place for you. And it's really not tapping, Joy, because we bilaterally stimulate all the time. We rock side to side, you know, that that's what that is, mm. you know. So really, so, you're talking about self-soothing. Absolutely. Self-soothing. We sweat. So that's the only thing that I would encourage, but but not with tappers. And, and if, um, you know, a lay person tried to order tappers now, they have a lot of questions to ask you before they, they send them to you. You have to have a lot of proof of how much even EMDR you've had and like I said, those type things, but self-soothing, you absolutely encourage that. And I do that a lot. Okay. Okay. So you've already talked a little bit about um, like how you see the SUD scores go down, um, you know, between sessions, but can you also talk about any other improvements that you see kind of throughout the course of treatment with EMDR? Yes. You know, I think coming out of trauma, there are four behaviors that, that people lean to in order to, um, in order to survive. Fight, flight, freeze, and appease. You know, fight is that being angry and defensive. Flight, a lot of times, is being suicidal, drugs and alcohol. Most people that are suicidal, I don't think they want to die. They just want to stop hurting. People want to end their pain, not their life. Drugs and alcohol is flight behavior. They get drunk, they get high, you don't have to feel any pain. Uh, freeze is just kind of numb. You're checked out. And appease is becoming that people pleaser to the point of even being abused often. Those four behaviors have, you know, they, they try to take care of you. Coming out of EMDR, uh, a lot of times people will realize I don't use those behaviors as much as I used to, or I'm using them now with the right people. 
So that's a marker for me as a clinician that I look for, you know, uh, what has your fight behavior looked like? Uh, you know, your need to please so that people won't hurt you or leave you. What has that looked like? How are you gauging that? Um, and that's exactly what I look for, just behaviorally. Um, how has therapy manifested? You know, therapy to me, the work is never in your office. It's outside of your office. You know, how does that enhance the quality of life? So that's exactly what I look for. And have clients just report that back to me. Um, because unprocessed trauma just leaves you hypervigilant. You're waiting on that next hit to the point that you sabotage it or you even cause it all in an attempt to protect yourself, but it ends up causing new traumas if that's not calmed down. And an EMDR helps to calm that down. Got you. I, I was not aware of the appease reaction, Kelly. So yeah. I, I've learned so much just hearing you talk. Um, yeah. But the appease reaction was a new one for me and, and definitely helps to kind of bring to light, you know, some things when we hear about people um, kind of having repeated traumas and the point that you mentioned about um, kind of giving, um, like ending up maybe in continuing abusive relationships because maybe they are trying to appease would then lead to yeah. multiple traumas. And Joy, that is the biggest one for African-American women. Oh God, that is the biggest one that appease. And that appease behavior is, you know, you want my money, my mind, my body, what you want, whatever you want, I'll do it. Just don't leave me and just don't hurt me. Mm. You know, that's the biggest one for us. And so one of my new favorite quotes about that, we set ourselves on fire to keep other people warm, not realizing I am now working on a new trauma because I'm just trying to get them not to leave me and not to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And it's survival. We know how to survive. We don't know how to thrive. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's survival. But for black women that appease, we're either angry or we are appeasing. Mm -hmm. Two total opposites, you know, you know, the polarities between that. I'm fighting angry or trying my best to please you. Right. right. And, and all of that is surviving, trying not to relive the impact of whatever that trauma was, uh, you know, and then again, working on new traumas and then mad at myself because why do I keep going back to this situation that doesn't, you know, benefit me? But I think all of it is a part of just unresolved trauma and being educated about this is what I'm doing and why. Yeah, those are very good points, Kelly. So what resources can you give us for anybody who wants to maybe learn more about EMDR? And I also want you to maybe talk about, um, like, if somebody listens to this episode and thinks, oh, that's something that I really would like to try. Um, is there some kind of, like, directory or national organization where people can find, like, EMDR trained therapists? Yes, there is a www.org. Emdria, E-M-D-R-I-A dot com, uh, or just Google EMDR and whoever you go to that's trained in EMDR, they need to be a level two trained EMDR. Uh, that's the highest level that you can go, but you want to be a level two trained EMDR. Level one is a person that's getting trained that can do a little bit of a calm, safe place, but not necessarily uh, reprocessing the trauma. Um, so Googling that, you can find a level two trained EMDR and any clinicians that, that, that would like to use it um, as a tool, I definitely think it's beneficial because the foundational parts of EMDR, even if you don't do the bilateral stimulation, you st the foundational component is very important to be able to do talk therapy, in my opinion. 
Um, and that same information can be found on the EMDR website. Uh, the same information can be found. Um, and you know, the more you use it, you kind of tweak it to get it to your personality and the population of people that you use. You know, the more you use it with anything, the sharper you get with being able to use it. It is definitely my go-to. Um, I like using it a lot. Very, very effective. Let me say this with children, very effective for children. It doesn't take them a long time to process. The reason is because they don't have a lot of memory. Mm -hmm. uh, so they go directly to what that event is. Most of my adult patients often talk about how much better they would be if they had gotten the therapy at 12, 13, 14, 15, like so many different decisions they probably would have made because it would have been able to just kind of pluck up that, you know, that, that template that, that's been so negative. So it's very, very, very effective uh, with, with children as well. So also any resources like, you know, for maybe um, clients who are interested in learning more about like EMDR and how it can be useful. Any like uh, videos or books that you really like? I love, uh, Francine Shapiro was a founder of EMDR. Um, she, uh, so anything you read by Francine Shapiro, uh, she was a founder of, of EMDR. She discovered it in 1989. Um, she, um, I'm so sorry, I can't think of the title, but uh, I think the body keeps the score is, 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 a, is one that clinicians go to a lot. Um, the unspoken voice in an unspoken voice by, by Dr. Peter Levine that, that he talks about trauma. And I heard Dr. Levine speak, if I may say this joy at a trauma conference and he showed pictures of the 9-11 building, uh, 9-11 when that happened in our country. And he kind of said, you see the people in the picture that are running, that are moving, they're probably going to be okay. PTSD and trauma is all about this feeling of being stuck. So the EMDR process helps to get you unstuck. That makes sense. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, so I often think, think about that because most people with PTSD and trauma is this feeling of trap. And so Peter Levine talks about that a lot in his book, In an Unspoken Voice, of, of uh, you know, what that looks like. But The Body Keeps the Score is probably one of the leading ones uh, in talking about uh, just trauma and PTSD and some of the benefits of EMDR. Okay. And, you know, you can Google and YouTube, you know, message boards, uh, you know, clinicians are, are, you know, doing some awesome things with it, some awesome things with it. I mean, it's almost a grab bag of learning the foundational part of it first and then, you know, tweaking it to your practice and what you're willing to do. I think everybody um, needs to be trained in it, but that's just me. This, because it blows a myth away that you got to be in therapy for the rest of your life to work on trauma. You know, people think this has got to be years of therapy to undo this stuff. That myth is gone. It goes away. You, you don't have to work on it forever. You know, six to eight sessions, that's kind of the, you know, what I'm able to do with clients, whether that's the bilateral stimulation or not. But I definitely see a lot of movement and EMDR helps to jumpstart that. Got you. So Kelly, I also want you to talk to us more about your practice um, and where we can find you online and any social media handles you want to share. Okay, I am in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, love being in Memphis and I'm located in Midtown. Uh, my practice is the Mental and Emotional Resource Center Incorporated, uh, M-E-R-C-I, Mercy. Uh, I've been here since 2011. Um, social media, I do have a um, uh, YouTube channel. 
It's called Life Management with Kelly. With is the W and the slash, and Kelly is K-E-L-L-I. And I'm talking about my work in trauma and PTSD uh, on YouTube. Um, I am uh, contracted at the local behavioral health hospital here in Memphis. I'm the director of grief and trauma therapy there. Um, they've only had two directors, and the first one was there about 19 years, and I trained with her for five of those. And when she left, I'm number two. Uh, so I, um, uh, most people, if they see me in the hospital, many of them will follow me outside of the hospital. You know, in the city, I'm known for uh, my work with PTSD and trauma, so that's where a lot of my referral sources, uh, that's where they come from. And as I said, I do this week in, week out with child and adolescent, whether it's in the hospital, in my office, geriatric, adult. Uh, I use this skill a lot. So sometimes people will say, uh, and this may sound arrogant, is there anybody, you know, that as good as you with this type of therapy? And I often say, Joy, there are not many clinicians in this city that have as much experience as I have because I do it week in and week out with various populations. And so the more you do it, um, the sharper you get with it. Um, so I am a clinical supervisor now, an approved clinical supervisor. I do have um, two supervisees that are trained in trauma that are shadowing me um, at the hospital and even in my practice. And I'm so excited with what they will also be able to do uh, with learning this tool. Because I can see everybody. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, but again, I, I do enjoy it. So I'm found in Memphis. Uh, I don't know if you want my website or. Yeah, it'll be included okay. in the show notes, but okay. you can share it now. Okay. It is uh, www.mercymemphis.org. Um, that just talks about how to get to me and, and things that I've done um, in the community. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this information with us today, Kelly. I definitely, like I said, learned quite a bit. Thank you for having me, Joy. You're welcome. You're welcome. I was very excited to have Kelly on our episode today because EMDR is new to me as well. So I learned just as much from the conversation probably as you did. You can find all of the information that Kelly shared as well as more information about Kelly in the show notes. You can find those at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash session 25. As a reminder, if you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out the directory at therapyforblackgirls.com backslash directory. And remember that new therapists are being added all the time. So if you haven't checked in a while, then make sure to check it out again today. And please make sure to share today's episode with a friend who hasn't heard the show. And then let me know what you thought about the episode over on social media. The hashtag is TBG in session. You can find us on Twitter at Therapy4, the number four B-Girls. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Therapy for Black Girls. And I'm just remembering, we haven't had any on the porch questions in a while, so don't be shy. If you have a situation that you want some feedback about or have some general mental health questions, make sure to send those over to podcast at therapyforblackgirls.com. I hope that each of you have an incredible rest of your week. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care.